I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The high cost of drug development and the small populations for individual rare diseases can make it difficult to attract drug companies to make the investment of time, money, and resources necessary to bring a rare disease drug to market. American MedChem, a nonprofit drug company, is hoping to bridge a gap between the lab and the clinic by using its small molecule expertise to advance potential rare disease therapies to a point where a drug company might seek to license them. We spoke to Robert Salaya, founder, president, and CEO of American MedChem, about its business model, what a nonprofit can do that a for-profit pharmaceutical company can't, and how it's prioritizing the projects it's pursuing. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny, for the opportunity to be here. We're going to talk about uh, American MedChem, a nonprofit drug discovery and development company focused on rare and neglected diseases afflicting children. Let's start with the the company itself. What is the need it's trying to address? So if you look at uh, pediatric rare diseases uh, uh, right now, uh, we have about 7,000 rare diseases, which genetics uh, of these diseases uh, helping to diagnose, uh, but most of these diseases uh, are small populations of children, and so they don't get the traction necessary in the, the traditional uh, you know, pharmaceutical, biotech industry setting. Uh, so we feel that the same level of uh, support, same level of drug discovery, R&D must be invested in these programs, even if it's for hundreds of children. Uh, to create the medicines. And, and so since the diagnosis are happening and the biology research is going on, we come in and collaborate with the biologists uh, who are doing the uh, underlying uh, basic research in, in the biological pathways of these diseases and to help them carry these programs towards what's called translational research towards the clinical trials. And clinicians are the experts in, in running the clinical trials. So we will essentially hand over out license these two clinicians who are experts in these disease areas. So it's filling a gap which is much needed so that these children will have medicine created for children. I think of One World Health as an example of this type of business model, but I'm wondering, were there any models for you or how did it come about? What was the decision that, that drove embracing a, a nonprofit business model? Yes, so uh, the question that, I mean, I have been in industry about 18, 19 years in drug discovery, uh, and um, I had never seen a pediatric program come through, so I think I just asked this dumb question as to why not, right? And you you dig in a little deeper and you find out that uh, it is the money that is not there to drive this program, so there is no profitability that's tangible for these companies to go after uh, these products, especially in the small molecule area. Now, in biologics, uh, where it is enzyme replacement therapies, and now you're seeing some RNA therapies that are coming through uh, for pediatrics. But in small molecule, 
uh, drug discovery, uh, this kind of effort is not going on, except for uh, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation's venture philanthropy approach with Vertex to create Calideco. So uh, that model that model was there, but it was coming along. But we felt that uh, uh, if there is no market driver, how do you serve this population of children? And uh, and the answer is philanthropy. And so what we did was, I call it a non-profit biotech. We simply took the biotech model. That is, if you were doing disease for a common, uh, if you're doing research for a common disease, uh, say cardiovascular disease, and you have discovered a biology, there'll be venture capital, a biotech spin out, and, and the technology is developed. So we took that same sort of thing and said, okay, now AMC can approach discoveries in, in biology and pediatrics, and, and we will, instead of licensing it, we'll collaborate with these academicians who are the leaders in this field and carry out the same drug discovery, rigorous drug discovery process. Uh, and at the back end, we can, we can discuss with uh, industry partners who may be interested as a lost leader uh, for their marketing purpose or to get a voucher or because they just want to do good for kids, whatever their motivation is, they may be willing to take on what's called de-risk programs to develop in the clinic and, and manufacturing market. If they are not interested, we can take this to places like NIH, NCAT, uh, or even academicians who are willing to do clinical trials. So the model is essentially the, the skeleton or the chassis of this model is based on a biotech model, uh, but philanthropy money, grants money, uh, crowdfunding money and in-kind gifts money uh, to to drive this program because the same technology that that's required to create medicine for adults is also useful to create medicines for children. So there's no difference in technology. What does being a nonprofit allow you to do, and how does that alter decision making? Well, that's a, in a sense the same rigorous drug discovery technologies applied. I mean, that have to be done to create medicine. That's the given. So there is no short-changing technology. The entire process, I call this entire process of drug discovery and development like a 4 by 400 meter relay. You have to run every stage to get the baton to the finish line. Our The difference is the financing part. I mean, you function like a biotech, but financing model is, is philanthropic. And so that allows us to go to a different source of money, people who care about children, people who care about disease, people who care about medicine, uh, to attract them to come to play in this area. And so the way we are structuring our funding model is like uh, what you can call a program-related investment, which is uh, we are not simply fundraising, uh, but we are fundraising for projects. So as we bring in projects, we also want to bring in philanthropists who may like the project. They may have a vested interest because they may have had a, a tragedy in their families or something, so that you know we can associate names of people or foundations with certain diseases, like pediatric cancer or you know particular pediatric cancer or pediatric muscle disease or something like that. So uh, it would be like uh, uh, like an umbrella organization that is running multiple projects in different disease areas, and and each disease area is getting funded by uh, a philanthropic mode and research grants and resistant plans. You, you mentioned the company is focused on small molecule drugs. Is the company limiting itself to small molecule drugs? And if so, why? Yes, we are limiting ourselves to small molecule drugs, uh, firstly because of specialization. 
Uh, even if you look at the biotech, uh, Danny, those who are doing biologics don't do small molecules. Those who are doing small molecules don't do biologics, right? So uh, it is because of because of the, of, of the process is different because the process of drug discovery for biologics is different. Uh, for drug discovery for small molecules is different. So my area, my background, uh, is in small molecules, and uh, two thirds of targets that are in the human body are inside the cell, and and we know how to get small molecules inside the cell. Uh, and to be effective. And so all, most of the majority of the therapies that are out there are small molecule drugs. So there is still a lot of work needed to be done in the small molecule area. And I've been talking to a lot of uh, uh, potential collaborators, and, and they uh, are very keen because they like enzyme targets, cell-based targets, cell-based assays. NIH does a lot of screening for these assays in small molecules, and NIH Center uh, for Chemical Genomics. And uh, and so when you screen, what happens in academics, the problem that you're trying to fulfill in the in the academic setting is they can discover the biology, they can run the screens, they can find what are called hit or lead compounds. All these are they can do all this. And what happens after that? Usually the program gets shelved because they don't have a drug discovery uh, the powerhouse to carry it forward. You know, the venture capital doesn't come. Biotechs are not spun off, so these programs essentially die on the vine, I say. So we go and find these programs and, and take it forward, specializing in small molecules. You are taking a, a fairly collaborative approach. Where do you see your strength in terms of the continuum of discovery and development? Yes. So uh, even in industry, I'll just generalize first and I'll come down to a bit more specific. In industry, uh, say a big pharma company, uh, biologists collaborate with drug discovery chemists, medicinal chemists, uh, and they collaborate then again with the preclinical scientists, toxicologists, and various people like that. And then the manufacturing people come in and they, they take over the project and then the clinical affairs. It's entire thing, drug discovery and development is collaborative. You cannot do this. A single person doesn't have all the knowledge and the powerhouse to do this, or a single entity doesn't have it. So what we do is so we go and find the collaborators who are in academic settings, institute settings, who are doing work in pediatrics, and we AMC then does what would be uh, typically done in drug discovery, drug design, computational chemistry, uh, and preclinical work. And uh, so there is an iterative process in this, which is the biologists does the testing, uh, the chemistry groups uh, create the compounds and send it for testing, and we optimize. We optimize towards the clinic so that a compound with the proper properties and proper activity are identified, right? So this is what takes time for, in our cycle time, we say 15 to 36 months, we go back and forth and we iterate this and, and and, and optimize really, it's called lead optimization process. And uh, preclinical is kind of uh, dispersed. Uh, different toxicology groups are there, different, uh, you know, uh, pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics groups are there. So, what we will do is we'll farm out these projects and project manage them to get everything done towards IND, what's called an IND enabled work. So, we do project management work as well as the drug discovery, drug design. And the collaborative work. Does the company have a pipeline at this point? And how are you going to prioritize 
what you pursue given the fact that you're not focused on a specific disease or disease area? Great question, Danny. Uh, we are just getting started. So in 2017, uh, we have capacity to launch uh, two to three programs. And so I'm actively out uh, looking for potential collaborators. Um, how do we prioritize? That's a great question. Uh, we are, if I may use this uh, within quotes, disease agnostic, as long as it falls within the umbrella of pediatric rare disease, pediatric cancer, uh, and perhaps the childhood uh, neglected diseases affecting children, uh, we, can, we can work with those. That's all we want to focus on. Uh, how do we prioritize? It will be based on biology. The biology has to be well-founded, uh, well-established, well-understood. And uh, if you think of that first segment in the 4 by 400 meter relay, when biology brings it to the finish line, which is like hits and leads, what we call, they would have done a small screen, identified a prototype compound that is uh, showing some kind of effect which can be optimized, uh, then we'll collaborate with them, right? So it doesn't matter what the nature of the pediatric rare disease is. Uh, it doesn't matter what the patient population is because we are not driven towards a profit but we are driven towards creating the medicine. So when biology dictates that they are ready, AMC can jump in and carry the program forward. So that is how we'll prioritize. It will be based on good, solid biology and understanding of the disease process. And what do you look for in a partner, whether it's a, a researcher or a rare disease foundation or, or a drug company? What makes a good partner for you? Yeah. So uh, let me first eliminate the drug companies. I don't think the drug companies are going to bring projects to AMC. They will come in the back end, right? So if you look at the front end, uh, collaborators would be a disease foundation or academic uh, researchers, uh, researchers in government institutes and things like that. So uh, what we look for is the willingness to collaborate has to be really uh, uh, sincere. Uh, and uh, and they have to be able to continue doing the biology, which means they are truly interested in seeing the project develop towards the clinic, right? So that, that's the criterion that I'm looking for. So uh, in industry, we take for granted that the biology groups are truly interested in these programs, and we, 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 we carry on the programs. Academicians don't have the mindset, unfortunately, because they don't have the pathway, clear-cut pathway, uh, you know, they, they think about their biology, but we want them to be able to expand a little bit more in terms of doing the iterative work. So look at it this way. When we write for grants, they can hire additional resources internally, so their programs really get more notice with them. And I definitely feel that academicians who collaborate with AMC, they'll find great satisfaction of being able to participate in carrying a program towards the clinic. Academicians seldom get that opportunity, but in, uh, particularly not in pediatric rare diseases. So uh, there are a lot of benefits for academicians uh, to, to work with us, and we will have a bit of hand-holding to do, and which is fine. Uh, we have a lot of consultants. We have a lot of advisors on board who are very, very used to uh, guiding programs. So, uh, you know, initially it may be a little rusty, but, uh, you know, it's collaborative. As long as the collaborative mindset is there, I think we can work through it. A critical part of developing rare disease therapies is having things like natural histories and, and patient registries and identifying things like 
biomarkers and, and getting at the, the biology of the disease. Are, are you seeing a role for American MedChem in that regard, or are you looking to take something that's already past that point? Yes. So that, that's a great clarifying question. So the biologists that we collaborate with who have undertaken the research in that particular disease area, pediatric rare disease area, would have uh, understood uh, the the natural history of the disease and the population size, patient population size, and various things like that. So there's already been a screen, if you may, uh, for them to select a program. Either they're experts in that in that pathway, or they're experts in in the disease process. So they include that particular pediatric rare disease. Uh, like I, Alan Begg, who is the uh, AMC director, he is at uh, Children's Hospital of Boston, and he's a muscle disease guy. That's his specialty. And so he's working on various pediatric uh, rare muscular disorders. You know? So just like muscular dystrophy, there are other muscular disorders in children. So he's working on that because that is his specialty. So he would have, he knows, when I talk to him, he knows the number of children affected by that particular disease and you know, how to go about, you know, who are the clinicians, who are the experts, and what is the network, and various things like that. So, so the first initial filter for the biologist has already been done, if you may. And when we go, I mean, we start the collaboration, we simply focus on the biology and, and design the drugs for that, because as it comes along, we start talking to clinicians, and clinicians in these specific pediatric diseases are highly networked, Danny. So because they, they know children in foreign countries, they know children in the U.S., and so they uh, have a network where they can run their own clinical trials. In terms of biomarkers, uh, that's a developing field. Companion diagnostics has to happen with personalized medicine. Uh, there are small companies that are interested in developing companion diagnostics. I mean, for them, they could write for a grant and work with us create the companion diagnostics so that we can implement personalized medicine and precision medicine, uh, which is which is a correct way of thinking of treating children, right? Treating adults too. So, so what do you think it'll take for a, a go-no-go decision on a specific therapeutic for you? For us to take on a project? Or? Yes. Okay, for us to take on a project, um, Definitely, uh, if the biology is uh, spotty, it is not well characterized, if it's not developed and, and, and understood, uh, we are not going to engage that project at the beginning. We may be able to help them to come along uh, in, the, in the future. But for our first three projects, I'm looking for uh, a good decision would be uh, ready, set, really. They have found hits and leads. Uh, they have done some sort of screening, and uh, that will be a good decision. Um, in the drug discovery process, uh, we do come across situations where sometimes these leads are not uh, suitable, which means we have to change gears, change shift directions, and various things like that. And those come along with data. They're all data-driven decision processes uh, along the way. And uh, as long as we collaborate in a transparent way, and as I say, we will have uh, you know, research steering committees made up of the biology collaborator, AMC consultants, uh, hopefully uh, philanthropists who want to be exposed to the process, uh, to sitting down and making decisions every stage of the decision-making process as to, you know, we have this data, we can go forward, we don't have this data, we have to stop here and, and change direction. So, uh, so in the process, that comes with data, but for AMC to pick up the program, a good decision would be 
a good solid biology with some hits and lead molecules that, that we can uh, sink our teeth into right away. So whether you're for-profit or, or non-profit, funding is a reality everyone has to deal with. You, you mentioned you're focused on philanthropy, but is the idea to, to fund on a project-by-project project basis, or is it to raise money more broadly? So project-by-project, project, we feel uh, there will be more appetite uh, in the philanthropic community to associate with programs, right? Uh, Instead of simply raising money, uh, when we associate maybe two or three major donors uh, who want to, because for us, our part, a cost of our portion, we estimated to be uh, three to five million dollars to carry through the drug discovery and preclinical development, right? Uh, so that can come through some grants, uh, FTTR grants are what are written for our projects. Uh, and in a collaborative setting, part of that grant money goes to the biologist, part of it comes to AFC. Uh, similarly, if you think about donors, uh, if you identify three or four philanthropists or five philanthropists for that matter, who are all keen about their pediatric cancer disease program, uh, they'll be funding that and we'll associate their names with that. And so there's sort of an ownership, there's a buy-in uh, that they are funding a program. So there's transparency there. Uh, but if we have, uh, as all nonprofits do, we'll have events like golf tournaments and cycle riding and, and, and gala events and various things. So we'll identify all the programs that are going on, uh, but we also will collect some money for our general funds, right? So uh, it, the transparency is key in philanthropy because people must know where their money is being spent. And so we want to keep that an open channel so that you know, people take pride in the fact that I'm supporting this program in pediatric cancer at, this, at, at AMC, and this is what they're doing with this. And that conversation is easy for people to make, as opposed to I'm just giving money to AMC, and I don't know what, what they're doing, right? So uh, we want to make it a little bit more specific, a bit more ownership, and a bit more buy-in. Even with a, a de-risk molecule, in the end, if a pharmaceutical company is going to take over development and, and bring it to market, it's got to be worthwhile for them, even if they have the economic benefit of a pediatric review voucher. Is there some point at which you may need to think of a, an alternative way to deal with late-stage clinical trials or FDA review or manufacturing and distribution? Uh, yes. So we have we are open to, and in fact, I, I discussed this very clearly uh, in that recent article that we published on uh, Rare Disease Report. Um, two paths, right? At, at, the, at the tail end, when we start talking to pharma biotech companies who are interested in pediatric medicine, uh, say we have brought a compound towards a proof of concept, a free clinical candidate that is coming along uh, and it's showing good results, uh, conversations begin and we will get to know what is the appetite in the pharma biotech pediatric area uh, for a partnership. Uh, if there is no appetite, if there is no interest in a particular program for whatever reason, for financial reasons, or there are no more vouchers available, or whatever the reason is, um, the pathway to the clinic and beyond is, is really there, which is investigator-initiated clinical trials. And these are academic clinicians who are engaged in these disease areas, who are, I call them physician scientists, right? Uh, they are the experts in this disease area. They are the ones who see these patients, and they want to 
uh, be the leaders who are developing these medicines. In fact, even if a pharma company picks up a program, they will go to these same physicians to run the clinical study because they are the ones who are the experts and they become principal investigators and leaders of the program. So in the event that there is no pharma biotech interest, uh, reasons can be many, um, we will approach and we will engage them. In fact, when the program is going on already, we'll be talking to clinicians and and I bet you they're going to they're going to pick up the ball that investigator initiated clinical trials are the least cost pathway through the clinical program. And these academic clinicians, they talk to the FDA all the time, they design clinical trials all the time, and, and they are really the experts. They are really the experts on the ground. And and and, and I, I believe they will be very, very motivated to pick up a program and hang their name on the project since they are the principal investigator here. And we are bringing forth um, medicine for 100 children, right? So, uh, so I believe that pathway is very, very much there. And FDA is very interested in, in pediatric medicine development. NIH is very interested in pediatric medicine development. Uh, you know, National Cancer Institute the same way. Uh, I think, I think we bring a refreshing model, you know, not simply doing one disease, but we can tackle multiple diseases. We can run five, six project collaborations simultaneously. On, on various diseases, and imagine connecting with the various physicians and keeping them at the ready to carry the ball into the clinic and beyond. In terms of manufacturing, you know, it's, it's uh, there are, I'm already talking to a couple of them, uh, they write for grants and manufacture and, 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 and support the distribution of these of these drugs, and uh, and they get their tax breaks and various things like that. Um, so that is not, all that infrastructure exists. Uh, there may be a little bit of philanthropy necessary, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, when there's a drug ready to launch, I think people will be very excited about it. <laughs> they will come flooding towards the project to, to support it. You know, even parents, even foundations, they'll, they'll be more excited to raise more money because through their initial support, there's a drug that is coming towards the, towards the clinic. So I think, I think it will generally be uh, okay at the back end. I mean, it sounds hypothetical now. But as a drug comes around the pipeline, uh, Danny, the, the interest in the program also grows. And so we'll be engaging more and more people as we go towards the right, towards the clinic. Robert Salaya, founder, president, and CEO of American MedChem. Robert, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.